Welcome to Source Material. I'm Jared Ballou. I'm Marissa Gall. And this is our second episode. So how are you doing this week, Marissa? <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. It's, I never see you, so yeah. it's nice to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's freezing cold here right now. It is. At the time of recording. We're in the the tundra. Yeah, it's March 4th right now when we're recording, and it was a wind chill of negative five yeah. today. Happy spring, everybody. That fucking groundhog lied. Yeah, no and shit. And nobody's calling no him out. No shit. I just, I'm ashamed because, like, BuzzFeed should have We need have Bill Murray to something. go kick that thing's ass again. It, I've never seen Groundhog I know. Day. Do I they can't really believe you don't. Does he, <sighs> does he really, does he really, He. I know he has a thing with gophers from Caddyshack. They're like cousins, I had never right? thought about that. D- does Bill Murray just have something against He's ground rodents? He's got something rodents? against rodents, yeah. I mean, who doesn't? So what book are we doing this week? The book we are doing, which I think this one's going to be so different from A Wrinkle, or <laughs> fuck, I fucked it up. You did. <laughs> Do it again. You did. No, we're keeping that. <laughs> no, I yeah, don't want to. I don't want to. Too bad. All right. Well, it'll be different from To Kill a Mockingbird. In what way? Because this is a book neither of us have read. That's true. Neither um, of us had read this book. Neither of us had seen the movie. So it's all neither new us, material. Yes, this is all new to us. And uh, we're going to do A Wrinkle in Time. The yeah. The children's classic. Somehow. Somehow. Yeah. Um, and maybe we're going to get a lot of flack for it. Because when we were just reading the book, neither of us were like in love it with it. It didn't catch my attention. And maybe, I mean, we're, you we're know, also in our 20s. A, we're <laughs> also adults, so... So we're reading but it. But you know what? I've read children's books before as an adult that I enjoyed. Yeah. So I don't absolutely. know. Absolutely. I think just because we're not children and we don't like it doesn't mean that it doesn't have its faults, right? Yeah. yeah. And then we watched the movie, which was, um, um, it we'll, was a movie. We'll get into it. It was technically a movie. Technically. I'm going to get a lot into Oprah's eyebrows. I hope everyone is prepared for that. She's not the only one who had She's the only the crazy one. eyebrows. No, no, she was. Really? Yeah, she was the only one hmm. with fucking rhinestones glued to her eyebrows. All right. Okay. Should we crack oh, into it? Yes, we're cracking into it quite literally with a, what is this this week? It is a Warrior Monk Belgian-style pale ale brewed by our local... Confluence Brewery. Yes. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. That was beautiful. Oh, that was satisfying. (laughs) We did that in unison. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Here we go. Okay. So just a little background again, like we did in episode one. We're doing A Wrinkle in Time. It was written by Madeline... I'm going to say Langle. She has that... La Angle. That's how I say it in my head, but I just think you're supposed to put Langle. Mm-hmm. She was technically born Madeline Langle Camp. That's her um, full name. And the book was published in 1962. And that surprised me because I thought it was like 80s or 90s for some reason in my head. I had that when it was published. I honestly, this book was never on my radar, so I've never thought about it. It only came on my radar when I saw the trailer for the movie. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I always knew the title, A Wrinkle in Time, but I never knew anything past that. I just knew it was a thing. Exactly. Didn't know anything beyond that. So Right. And so just a little bit about the plot and overview. So when we go into the comparison, you have some groundwork. So the story follows mainly the Murray family. We have 
the parents, Mrs. Murray, she's a biologist. Kate. Is her name Kate? I believe it's Catherine. Kate. Oh, Catherine Murray. Um, yeah, she's a biologist and a bacteriologist. And then bacteriologist. You know what? You're the scientist here. Mm-hmm. And I can't read. Apparently. And, and then Alex Murray is the dad. Alex Murray's the dad and he's a physicist. Yes. Did I get that one right? You got it. Okay, thank you. And Actually, it's pronounced physicist. Physicist, yeah. just like it's a spur to me instead mm-hmm. of aspartame in your world. Yep. Okay, sounds good. And then they have four kids, and it follows Meg, the oldest. I think she's supposed to be 14 years old. And um, she's kind of awkward, isn't doing well in school, and we'll find out why here in a second. Then there are the twin boys, and I'm just going to say this, they don't fucking matter, and nobody cares about them. What are their names? Dennis Dennis with a Y. And Sandy. And Sandy, okay. Yeah, they're barely, they they don't even really register in the story. They really don't. Um, And then the youngest, Charles, who is six, and he is I think he's five in the book. Is he five? Six in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's he's, um, written as this very intelligent, intuitive yeah, they describe him character. as he's when he started speaking, he started speaking in full sentences. I believe, and that's he didn't speak for a long time. Yeah, and then one day he, yeah. I don't know, just started talking. So he's this like basically kind of supernatural child prodigy. They describe him as a kind of a new kind of human. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's literally how they say it. he's new. Yeah. Um, and then we have a friend, someone outside of the Murray family, Calvin, who's, he isn't really a friend. He's a new friend. Like the characters don't know him until. Yeah. He's kind of a casual acquaintance. Right. So those are the main characters yeah. besides the, um, misses who we'll get into. So the plot and all the action revolves around, um, the Murray's, um, kids missing father, Alex, who's been gone for years and they haven't heard from in at least one year. And they encounter Mrs. Watson, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Witch. And they um, guide Meg, Charles, and Calvin basically through this journey through space and time to try and save their dad. And it's this odd mix of science and magic and faith and fiction. And it's Yeah, it's very much science fantasy, not science fiction. Yes, it's very, very fantastical. Yeah. But that's a little bit about the plot in case you haven't read it. Um, or you can just pause here and go read it. It's a very quick read. I think it, it took is us a, this, yeah, little two over, days. Yeah, a little over 200 pages. Yeah. Children's book, so it, didn't, it went pretty fast. Right. So a little bit about Madeline. She was born in 1918, and um, she moved around a lot as a kid, and she lived in Europe for a while, which enlightened me to her writing a little bit so she's Amer- she's from america. she's you yeah she's from america but her family her mom and Are dad they french i'm assuming that's their heritage yeah. but her parents were you know as far as i know they weren't immigrants they did move around a lot and when i read her writing the way she was writing certain dialogue i'm like she sounds kind of british and it makes sense because they spent time in europe oh okay so maybe that's where some of that style comes yeah. from um she married Hugh Franklin, who she met when they were both acting in um, a play, The Cherry Orchard by Anton Chekhov. And together they had a daughter and a son. And they also adopted a daughter that um, is she was the daughter of their close family friends and they died unexpectedly. Her parents did. Oh. So they ended up adopting her. So technically they have three children. And she was not a successful writer early in her career. So she actually had said that if she didn't succeed or publish a book by 40, 
How old was she when she wrote this? She had been working on it for a while. She wrote two books, adult um, novels, before she um, started working on this one, but they did not. Um, they weren't published largely, and they were out of print okay. very quickly. So this was very much her first, like her bit, first, her first success. success. Yes, but it it was a long time coming because they were living in Connecticut at the time, and she was running a general store and a farm to oh, support wow. her family. Okay, but when they moved back to New York, so her husband could pursue acting again, that's when she got her big break, and that's when her book was picked up. Oh, so they were living in Connecticut. I believe that's where the story is supposed to take place. Well, yes, the part at the beginning where they're on Earth, anyways. Yes, I I believe so. Okay, so that's when her book took off and I'll get into the publishing of it a little bit. Um, she was a pretty prolific writer though. Cause I think I saw someone that she wrote over 50 books. Yeah. She so. wrote a lot. Um, and in a lot of her writings, you'll see a lot of faith based kind of yes, dialogue. Definitely. And I got that a lot out of this book. Yes. And she, and her faith is a huge uh, part of her. I think identifier. She is Episcopalian and I had to look this up because I mean, I technically grew up Presbyterian, mm-hmm. um, so I don't always understand the differences between things. Yeah. And I'm not very connected to church nowadays. Right. But um, surprisingly, Episcopalian is a very liberal church. So okay. they believe in eternal salvation. So no one is damned. No one is um, beyond saving. Well, you got that very much from her book. It was like yeah. faith-based and there was a religion in it, but it was, it was kind of all-encompassing where she talked to I mean, they brought in other religions other than Christianity yes. into it. We'll and get into that. I mean, we can get into it once we get to the story, but yeah. And so when I say liberal, they have, they have been known throughout history to support civil rights movements. So a lot of leaders of the church marched with Martin Luther King and oh, interesting. they support equal rights for the LGBTQ community. And Very they cool. have um, leaders in their church who of all genders, orientations, races. So, as far as churches go, it's it is very liberal and um, but ironically, because of its liberal status, a lot of religious bookstores and schools would not carry her book. That is hilarious. Whereas I read it, and that's like, ridiculous. And I read it, and I'm like, wow, this is just yeah, Jesus, w- Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, I didn't get it quite uh, quite that much when I was reading the book, but there was definitely quite a bit. I mean, that was one of the overarching themes was right. Interesting. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if she would have been hurt by that because she worked, she volunteered at a, at a, at a church library. That was where she was a volunteer librarian. And I'm like, did they carry her books? Well, I I think I saw something that, yeah, her book was kind of like, it was kind of like Harry Potter where people were like, oh, it's witchcraft and stuff like that. So they didn't want to. Well, that's what's so interesting about its publication because it she was rejected 32 times wow this manuscript for the original wrinkle in time it is one in five books of the series but for today's sake we're just doing a wrinkle in time and the reason that people think it was rejected was because it does toe this line between it's a children's book but it covers a lot of um bigger themes and a lot of um, more complex ideas when it comes to science and math and faith and all Well, yeah, she things. tries to explain She tries to explain dim- dimensional travel. Yeah, and you don't think this is what a third grader should read. <laughs> they should they should get it. Um, I don't know. 
And I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying that's why it was, I think, a lot of publishers thought this is going to go over kids' heads. Yeah. And also, I mean, she wrote it in the 60s and it was a female protagonist at the head of a science fantasy novel and that was not seen. Not just even a female protagonist. It's like... It's very female heavy. majority of the characters that have the power are female. Yeah, that's... Yeah, absolutely true. Despite being rejected all those times, she won the Newbery Medal, the Sequoia Book Award, and the Lewis Carroll Shelf Award. And um, the sequels include A Wind in the Door, A Swiftly Tilting Planet, Many Waters, and An Acceptable Time. But for being so well awarded, the initial reviews were very mixed and very um, critical. Really? Yeah. So a lot of the ones that I saw were saying it was very entertaining but it's very heavy, heavy handed. She doesn't leave anything to be, you know, found out. She lays it all out. And that's something we noticed is there's a lot of explanation. Yeah, that's definitely one one criticism I would have of the book. Yes. So another one said it's entertaining, but not the best quality. And it is actually listed on the American Library Association's list of the top 100 most challenged books because it is it is very religious in its message. But yet you have images of witchcraft. And um, you have images of mediums and crystal balls, but also images of Jesus and God being compared to Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, she and brings Gandhi in the art and, and the sciences. I mean, that kind of makes sense with now that you've described what the, her church kind of yeah. was like. It lends some um, insight. This was interesting because I don't have much fondness for the book. I have zero fondness for the movie. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. Should we get into the movie? Strapping. Yes. I I don't know anything that you're going to tell me about. All I know is who the director is. Yeah. And obviously the cast. So this movie was directed by um, Ava DuVernay. DuVernay? Uh, Yeah, I think that's how you say it. So she is known for directing um, Selma. Yes. Um, which That's got a, I know a lot of award buzz, I think 2013, 2014 award season. Ago? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, and that was kind of her fa- first major motion picture, basically. Um, so she was really no- well known for that. After that movie, she was having a hard time getting getting signed on to other projects. And I know she took that personally. And she so she's a, a African American woman. Yeah. There's not a lot of w- female directors. No. There's even fewer African American female directors, right? Mm, yes. So I know she she I saw an interview with her where she had been at Sundance with Colin Trevorrow at one point when they were doing some of their smaller movies earlier on, and Colin Trevorrow did a small some small indie films and then went on to do like Jurassic World and got signed on to a Star Wars movie. And she did Selma, and it got nominated for Academy Academy Award, and then got almost nothing after that. So so in response to that, she wasn't getting any projects. She went and made the documentary 13th. That's on Netflix, right? Yeah, that's a Netflix documentary. Amazing movie. Uh, It's basically about the the 13th Amendment Mm -hmm. um, and kind of how how our society in the U.S. is still set up to basically kind of enslave African-Americans. So so this one cool thing that came out from her directing this movie, she was the first female, black female director nominated for a Golden Globe. 
Um, for that, Wrinkle in that Time, was for you Selma. mean? Oh, Sorry, for Selma. that was for Selma. And she was the so also for Selma. She was the first black female director to have film nominated for the Best Picture, and she was the first black female director to be nominated for Best Documentary. So she is like a a rising star, basically, yeah. right? Coming into this movie, and she's pretty. I mean, she's pretty young. Yeah, there was high expectations for this movie because people, you know, saw her other ones and were like, "This, you know, she knows what she's doing. This is this yeah. be really good." Um, yeah, I think she's forty-seven or something like that. She does not look it. She looks young. But for A Wrinkle in Time, so this this movie had a production budget and marketing budget of one hundred fifty to two hundred fifty million. So this is a huge movie compared to her other ones, right? Yeah, this Selma was, her was small, budget small budget, thirteenth even smaller. I guess a documentary. So this is she's coming on to a massive kind of. Probably Disney was thinking of this as a franchise. But that made her the first black American woman to direct a live action film with a budget of over $100 million, And only the second woman after Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman. And those, they came out a few years apart? Not the same year. No, Wonder Woman was 2017. Okay, so a year apart, yeah. Um, it only grossed $132.7 million worldwide. Ouch. So it was a box office bomb. They, they didn't even make the money back. No. Oh, that hurts. But that that did make her the first African American woman to direct a film that earned a hundred million domestically. It just ha- so happened that it didn't cover the costs of the movie. So right, the budget was much much larger. Yes. Before all this, she started her own public. Re- so she started as a, a a public relations firm for films. So she started this in 1999. Her own firm called DVA PR, oh. and they marketed movies like Spy Kids. Shrek 2, Dream Girls. Fucking love Spy Kids. The Help. The Help? Yeah, her company marketed all those movies. So that's kind of her background. And she just started, she was around sets and stuff, and she started just directing films. I, she, she, she listened to a lot of audio, like commentary. Okay. On, on movies. And, oh. and just kind of started directing films. Some of those So extras. she's kind of, yeah, she doesn't actually have any, I think, formal training. So she's. It was kind of a cool sto- story of her rise to be in this d- right. star she's self, director. She's self-taught, which is yeah. impressive. And to be self-taught and get those big budget movies and nominations, I mean. Yeah. And the movie was written by Jennifer Lee. Do you, I don't know if you know anything about Jennifer Lee. No. I found this extremely interesting. So Jennifer Lee is the chief creative officer of Walt Disney Animation. What and sh- wait? She wrote and directed Frozen. No, she did. She did. She co-directed and wrote. Frozen. Wait, with her husband? I I don't know if they're married. I can't, I don't didn't see. I that. think they are, because they won they won stuff. I'm pretty sure they're but married. Yeah, she won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature for Frozen. For Frozen. Yeah, that's her husband. Oh my god! So she was the first female. Oh. She was the first female director of a Walt Disney animation film. And the first female director of a film that earned more than a billion dollars in gross box office. Why didn't Jennifer Lee? Oh, my God. She also was the co-writer for Wreck-It Ralph and the co-produced or produced Wreck-It Ralph 2. And she helped develop Big Hero 6, Moana, Zootopia. All my favorites. And she's co-directing the new Frozen movie. So she's like a big player in these. And her movies are amazing. Yeah. Which makes it so incredible. That this one is so bad. Jennifer, you're better than this. <laughs> so, I, I mean, and I found this 
I mean, it's so cool that they got these two women to make this movie because yeah. they, they are groundbreaking um, as far as, I mean, both directors, I mean, one in animation, one in yes. live action, making this movie about, you know, essentially female empowerment is a large theme in it. Yes. And in, in self-acceptance with Meg, you have the three misses, these kind of otherworldly, powerful beings yeah, yeah. Who are who are but they gendered, they're female, right? In the They book. are female, yes. You they're have, misses. Yeah. You have the the mom who is a, a scientist, a prominent scientist. You have yeah. Happy Medium, which is another kind of powerful being who's a female. I mean in so in the this, book it's a female. In the movie True. We get Zach out. You have next. this you have this movie that or yeah. this book that uh, really I just think that, that was a good fit. But I agree. Yeah. Knowing all these facts, you uh, I wanted to succeed so badly. I'd already watched the movie, so I know it didn't. We would But <laughs> I back. wanted it too. I was like, "Come on." Um so let's get into kind of the the cast. And they had a star-studded cast. This is like The Curse, right? Where you have this I feel like any big movie that has such an amazing huge cast, people are like it's going to be amazing. And then it fucking it it's never well, as good we as had Oprah as um Mrs. Witch. Yes. Reese Witherspoon as Mrs. What's It. Mm-hmm. Mindy Kaling as, as Mrs. Who. And right? this is Mindy Kaling's, I think, most prominent movie role. A probably. lot of her movie roles are much smaller. Yeah, probably. You have Chris Pine playing probably a little less known maybe than obviously less known than Oprah. But he's also a big star. I don't know, those baby blues. He was in Wonder Woman. Yeah, he's been in big movies. He's, he's a big in star. Big movies, yeah. Um, or you have Zach Galifianakis, right? Yes. So you've got a pretty big cat, pretty star-studded cast right there. The kids were the only ones I think that yeah. you didn't really know that. So well. the kids, we had um, Storm Reed playing Meg, mm-hmm. and this was her first leading role in like a big movie. She had a small part in Twelve Years a Slave. Interestingly, oh. okay. um, she would have been a lot younger then. Yeah, really young. Levi Miller as Calvin, and he played, his only other major role was Peter Pan in the 2015 film Pan, which I know also was critically panned. It was terrible. <laughs> Pun intended. That was unintended, but it works. It does work. And then Derek McCabe played Charles Wallace, and he was chosen out of thousands of child actors over a seventh-month search process. So Interesting. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. You also had Michael Pena. That's his name. Yep. Ugh. And then... Um, Who played uh, Red Eyes, the red-eyed man. Yeah, and then Gugu Mbatha-Ra played the mom. I probably butchered that name. So this movie was critically panned. It was, to put it um, concisely, shit. It did win one award. What? It won, Costumes? No, it won the St. Louis Film Critics Award for the worst movie <laughs> of 2018. <laughs> Oh my God! Fucking savage. And they threw in that DJ Khaled song at the end, which makes it maybe the worst movie of all that, time for me. When the credits roll and you hear the do 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 do, another one. I was like, "Fuck this!" Yeah. I wanted it. Here's here's what hurts my heart. As a woman who wants to support and uplift other women, especially when they're underrepresented in a field like 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 film, it it sucks to see it suck. Yeah. Because that's just fodder for people to be like, well, you know, they they can't do the job. But also I think this material 
the book, it is a lot to ask. It's a yes. huge, I think the ideas presented in it and it's putting a, that visually is going to be It's definitely hard. a tough book to, to adapt. Yeah. So let's get into the movie. Let's. And, and kind of see how it differed from the book and what we thought. Mm, I have thoughts. So they, they start off really similar to the book with the storm. There's a storm at the beginning of the book and the movie. And Meg goes down to find her brother awake during the storm. Charles Wallace. Charles Wallace. The only character who's called by two names for some reason. Yeah. And he is down there basically waiting for her to come down because he's got this special connection with her that he knows and his mom. He can kind of read their mind a little bit or read their emotions, right? He's very, um, it seems like emotionally intuitive. Yeah, but it's like on a supernatural level is supposed to be, right? He, and he, yeah, it's but not they just, don't explain that in the movie at all. Well, this is the main, this is the first major difference for me is they don't flesh out Charles Wallace's character as well as far as like why he's so important, right? And he's not nearly as important in the movie as he is in the book. No, it's much more focused on, I mean, the book is focused on Meg, but the more of the, the emphasis and the action is on Meg in the book too, in the movie too. But yeah. the other major difference is you don't, the first Mrs. Mrs. What's it was introduced mm-hmm. during the storm sequence in the book in the movie. She's not right. Right. She just kind of shows up one day and Charles is like, Oh, I know her. She's my friend. And everyone's like, obviously really creeped out. It's like, you should go. And then we get the scene that's in the book, you know, the one that, you know, where she says to Mrs. Murray, you know, there is such a thing as a tesseract. And that's where we first hear that word. And that's where we first start to learn about what the Murrays were working on. Yeah. They still have that. It's later on. They just kind of shift where they put that. But then, then they, they go into, she goes, they show her at a day at school. And, uh, yeah, that, that was pretty similar to the book where, you know, she has a rough time, she's getting bullied, but it was a little bit different because like she acts out and she's much, it's much more, um, they give her a nemesis, like a direct yes, nemesis. Yes, they definitely give her a nemesis. I don't, they don't know if they ever named that her, character. Yeah, her name's but, Veronica. Okay. Yeah. They give her a direct nemesis and she's, um much more outright in her anger like she fucking throws a basketball at this chick's face yeah during gym class which is different a different characterization than what they had in the book she's too. much more um i think angry yes definitely and um in the book she seems much more sullen and kind of withdrawn at, the, at that point anyways yeah yes at that point and uh yeah so we go through that whole thing we we encounter mrs what's it after that that uh school day i believe yeah, she she comes in and then then they do the whole thing where um she comes in, but that even that's different because in the book when she comes in, she just kind of arrives at the house, she knocks on the door and but she's kind of welcome in in the book. She's kind of welcomed in whereas in the right. movie is very much of like what the hell are you doing in my house? You're insane. Yeah, get the fuck out of my house. Yes. Type of thing. So that that was pretty different. There's the one thing that is very different in the book is the misses is what a weird way to say that, but their appearances in the book, they are literally described as old. Mrs. What's it is supposed to be wearing like 
I don't know, all these weird layers of clothes and Yeah, like sheet one of them's wearing sheets that they stole from somebody, another one's wearing like an odd assortment of hats and Yeah, Mrs. Stuff like Woods that. is wearing the hats and then Mrs. So basically they're supposed to be like these otherworldly beings that don't know how to look human. They're in disguise. Right. right? They're in dis- really bad human disguises. Whereas in the movie they're pretty much it's pretty much as Reese Witherham Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling and Oprah. In just the most extravagant of costumes. Yeah, and like fancy dresses. Yeah. Right. And then we see in the book, they change they change forms and they become, you know, these very beautiful, almost celestial beings. And then um, when they're on the other planets after they test her and all that good stuff. But in the movie, it's just like, let's just do 15 costume changes and, you know. Yeah call it good oprah's 50 feet fucking tall yeah well in the book so mrs Ugh. um mrs witch yeah has a hard time because she's so basically the whole thing is they're all really old like billions of years old beings right mm-hmm. and they have a hard time communicating with humans so so the older they are the harder they are is harder it is to communicate right so mrs witch is the youngest she communicates no. Mrs. What's it? Mrs. What's it? You're right. Mrs. What's it is they the youngest. They don't make it easy. No, they don't. I get <laughs> so fucking confused with their names. Mrs. What's it is the youngest. She communicates the best. She can talk and looks the most like a human, right? That's, Mrs. Who yeah. in the book only talks in quotes, and they kept that for the movie. Mindy Kaling mostly talks in quotes. Yes. And then Mrs. What's it? Mrs. Witch. Fucking hell. Mrs. Witch. <laughs> this is an audio nightmare. <laughs> played by Oprah. She in the book she doesn't ever fully appear. In the book she doesn't she can't fully f- materialize, right? She's kind of like see-through and she like, like the way witch. she talks is like drawn out kind of, right? It's kind of like how I imagine a ghost, you know, like Yeah, ooh, exactly. In like the movie that. it's just Oprah and she's like 50 fucking feet tall and she can talk just fine. She talks the most of all of them. Yes. And in the book she is she's, she is not that she's character. She's the least, yeah. Yeah, I just, in my mind, I'm like, Oprah, Op- you know Oprah was like, if I'm going to be in this movie, I have to literally be the biggest star. Well, Oprah was in Selma, so she was friends with the director, so I'm sure. And she was like, Ava, I need to be 50 feet tall with beaded eyebrows. Well, I'm, I don't think she had to ask. If you have Oprah in your movie, you're probably going to give her a big part of it. Literally. True. Did they have to literally make her 50 feet tall and like semi-see-through from the waist down? No, they didn't. But mm. it was so bad. Well, then she had the fucking eyebrows that were glitter. It just it's like all well, those So in the book I they can't. go to the the planet Uriel shortly after they meet on Earth. It's like boom, they're they're going Similar off on this interdimensional um adventure. Adventure. And they they first stop is Uriel. And the whole point of going to that planet is to go up on top of this mountain and look and see the main antagonist of the book, or the only antagonist of the book, is the black thing, or it's called it. It, right? Yes. And basically, in the book, it is like the encompass- encompassment of evil. Pure evil. It's where they they learn what they are fighting yeah. and what has their father. So in the book, they go to this planet, and the three misses transform into these like marble-like centaur beings. Well, no, no, no. They're all very beautiful, but I believe Mrs. What's-It is the only one who turns into like a winged fucking centaur. Yeah, they have like rainbows for wings. 
and stuff like that. And she and literally takes the kids they for ride, a ride. Yeah, they ride on her back to the top of the mountain, right? Yeah, yeah. In the movie, that d- d- does not happen like that. Reese Witherspoon turns into, we have decided, just one fucking large piece of rhubarb. She's a fucking leaf with a fucking Brussels sprout for a head. It did make what, me want Brussels sprouts. Why did they make that change? They had the CGI budget. Why would they not just go with what was in the book? It looks so much worse. I don't like salad, so to watch the embodiment of a salad fly through the air was deeply upsetting I'm to me. I'm just trying to understand why they would make that decision. Why? I feel like a marble centaur just, with rainbow wings would have been way sweeter. That's just... My whole my whole thing with this movie is I go, why? So they had this massive CGI budget, and, and I think they so just... Bad. Yeah, it was... I don't... It was so... I don't understand that decision at all. It, it looked so If she's going to transform anyway, why deviate from the book? Well, and then the, not even the look of the three misses was off. The characterization was way off. Like Mrs. Who maybe was, was definitely the closest to her book character, but she doesn't have a lot to do in either of the stories, right? She's just kind of right. there saying quotes because she can't, she's, she's the second oldest, so she can't communicate very well so she communicates in these quotes from like famous texts so like she quotes Shakespeare and stuff like that but they even changed that in the movie where you know one of her quotes in the movie is just damn Tucker American yeah they update it they try to update it for and then she's doing these cool ass like handshakes with Calvin yeah why why is she fist bumping she's a billion years old so they completely changed the characterizations and like and like you said Mrs. Witch is not a big player and I mean she is a big player in the book but she doesn't speak that much. She's not the main communicator with the no. children. She's like the oldest, the most knowledgeable, the one with the most power. But she doesn't speak that much and in the movie she has the majority of the the dialogue. Yeah, she's got a lot, a lot of one-on-one with Meg. And then Mrs. Watson in the movie they've made her to be this very annoying very naive. She's the youngest. Yeah, she's childlike. She's very movie. childlike, and she outright just is like doesn't like Meg. Um, she she just is basically trash talking Meg the whole time. She just goes to try and be like, I don't understand why you brought her along. She, I don't get her. She doesn't do anything. Yeah, that's one big thing they changed. They are really mean to Meg in the movie. The three misses. They are trash talking her the whole time. They're like, she's not up for this journey. She doesn't have what it takes. Like in the, isn't that one of the big things in the book is they're trying to like get her to like accept herself? Well, in the book, they trust Charles' opinion of Meg and her abilities. Whereas in the movie, Mrs. Watts is honestly just kind of a bitch. Yeah. She's just very outright and like, Charles, I just don't get her. She just, what is, why is she here? It was honestly, they made a heavy handed story even more heavy handed. Yes. So heavy-handed. They're like, Meg hates herself. So does everybody else. Yeah. Except Calvin, who has this... Oh, fuck Calvin. He's kind of like not... I feel like he's not really part of the story that much in the movie, other than they changed him into a love interest. A very awkward 14-year-old love interest. But that's kind of his entire role. Yeah, just telling Meg she has pretty hair. Yeah. Very awkward. Very, very awkwardly. And always like, if you watch this movie... This movie had like... fucking Hayden Christensen in Star Wars <laughs> level acting. But like, it was so 
bad. But the kid's head is always cocked to like a 45 degree angle when he's saying something like like a dog when you are saying something funny, yeah. you know, and it tilts his head. Like just your head does not have to be a fucking on a swivel. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's so, a very interesting well, change. Yeah. He just doesn't have the significance he does in the book. In the book, he's no. also got some also kind of supernatural thing. Like that's the whole reason he joined up with them is because he had a feeling to go to the spot to meet up with them in the beginning. And in the yeah. movie, they, they kind of like throw away line, but they never expand on it. So, I mean, I feel like, again, if you're watching that movie, you're going to be confused as fuck as to what he's doing there in the first place, other than just being some random kid they met on the street who went with them on this adventure. Who walked into a, an, an abandoned house to yeah. see Mrs. Who quilting. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So after they they are on Uriel and all that shit happens, they go to Orion's belt and meet the next character, Happy Medium. Yes. And I will say this. I was and am upset that they changed the role to a male role when it didn't seem to have any significance. I wasn't that upset. So Zach Galifianakis played Happy Medium and I thought he was the best part of the movie. No, no. You have to let me finish. Okay. Sorry. I didn't see the purpose of changing him except to be a love interest for Mrs. What's it. However, I agree. He showed more humor and emotional range in his 15 minutes than the entire cast. He he was the best actor in that movie and he stole the show in his like, I don't know, five minute appearance or whatever. Yeah. Where like he's trying to, first of all, why they're trying to do yoga while balancing on fucking rocks to, which means they completely mishandled it. Because yes. the one character they changed to a, a man mm-hmm. in the movie full of strong female characters was, in my opinion, the best, yeah. most entertaining part of it. Like, yeah. you fucked that up, man. Exactly. I don't know. He was entertaining, surprisingly pulled off the man bun, okay. Yeah, I I really liked him. And I already liked Zach Galifianakis, but I really liked him in that movie. Yes, he... And that's, that's what's sad, is we get minimal minutes of him and he's the one character I'm like okay you're believable you have something to say yeah and you have your and this is I think the part of the story where we see Meg become the very central heroic character because it's through her that they're like they figure out in the movie in the book it's very different that her dad is stuck on Camazots, which they explain is the origin of it. The black thing, the evil also different from the book. Definitely. Well, in the book, they just go to Orion's belt to show the three kids what they're fighting. Like they show earth being surrounded in this shadow. Like earth is in a massive fight against it. The black thing, evil darkness, darkness, right? And in the movie, yeah, like you said, they go there to figure out where the where their dad is. And the in the book, they know the misses know where the dad is. Exactly. They know where how to get is. there. They're just showing the kids so what's they can going on. Understand. Yeah. Right? This is this is what this book does. It has very short, short spurts of action and then just a lots, lot of explanation. Lots of exposition, yeah. So much exposition, which is interesting, I think, for a children's book. She is very focused on trying to explain almost the unexplainable. Yeah. I do think it was cool. She tried to bring in some science to it. Absolutely. But whether or not that was accurate <laughs> is another thing. But yeah. Yeah. So after that, 
unless there's anything else you want to talk about on on Orion's belt. Oh no, here's what happens. This is this is an important this is where the story really shifts too is they see that um her dad is stuck on Camazots and the misses want to go back to Earth. They want oh, to yeah. leave him. And this is where it basically really parts from right. the book because they try to tesser them back to Earth and Meg's desire to save her father pulls them to Camazots through the tesser, right? And then we get the very similar scene from the book where they're on Camazots and they leave them with their gifts. They leave Meg with her faults um, and the pair of glasses for Mrs. Who. And yeah, um, they leave the other two some shit, but they don't matter anymore because it's all about Meg now. And they disappear. The misses are gone. Yeah. Which the, is, which is similar to the book. But, yeah. But the, so they go to the same places the reason they go to those places are very different though. Yeah. I will say it does a good job of following the kind of locations and the plot and yeah. the movement, but the, you're right. The reasoning behind it and the motivation it's is completely very different. different. Yeah. And the characterizations are completely different. Yeah. And then, and then they get to Camazots and it's, that is completely different too. It's, Cause it's like a shape shifting planet. They start off in like a forest and then the ground's trying to fucking eat them. And Charles Wallace has disappeared when they, they're separated when they're there. Yeah, it's a much more violent. This is where it becomes like and then they the go, action movie. Yeah, and then they go into a goddamn tornado. Because get thrown physics. over, I get thrown over a wall into for some reason that takes them to safety. The slingshot effect, don't and you that know? That maybe my favorite line in the movie. Do you trust me? Ugh. Oh, God damn it! It's in every like teen movie ever. Yes. Ever. It's like, di- I think of Divergent. I think of Hunger Games. That's exactly right? what it was. They, changed, the they, tried, they tried to change this movie into like the Maze Runner and Divergent and shit like that. And yes. it showed. It was terrible. And you know what happened to Divergent? Shit. It didn't even finish the series for the movie. Yeah, it has. A, we'll get into yeah. the screenwriting later after we kind of get through the And plot, probably but. then they go into. So then they go into the the city. Yes, the, it the, becomes a city. So this is similar to the book where they, yeah, it goes and becomes a city and there's like, they get into this like kind of suburbia area and there's kids, a bunch of kids outside their houses bouncing their balls in unison, right? They're dressed very similarly. Yeah. They, everything's in And unison. this part was really cool because I was reading the book and I was like, oh, that's going to be cool in the movie because it's like, yeah. it's like they're robots. They're doing it at the same exact time. Very rhythmic and yeah. it makes you like, you kind of like bob your, you're like, yeah, you it's got a rhythm up in the to beat. it. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. Which I thought was really well done in the movie, too. I did that like that part. scene. And then, but then opposed to them like walking through an actual town in the book, it shapeshifts. And then we get a beach scene, which is not in the book at all. Yeah. And that's where they meet the red eyed man, which is um, completely different well, than okay, the book. Okay, so the whole idea of the kids acting robotically when they're bouncing the ball in the same way is that like it is like forcing its will on them to conform right so they're not making yeah. any choices then they go to this beach scene and it's just like chaos all these people are doing whatever the fuck they want to individually yeah and then they meet right? the, so the that, guy with the red eyes and he offers them food and that is when charles wallace is um taken over by it yes Whereas in the book, he willingly says, I'm going to go and submit to it so I can learn it, what it wants, and then I'll escape, right? Yeah, in the book, so the man with the red eyes is 
basically a guy. We don't know who he is, but he's taken over by it. Yeah. And he's, he's trying to, yeah. he's trying to like hip, basically bend them to its will and kind of hypnotize them. With, right? with very, um, I think common methods, repetition. Yeah. Um, kind of those rhythms. Remember they say in the book, it's like, and it's like a fight. This oppressive. Yeah. And beat. it's like, they're all fighting against like get conforming to his will basically. Right. And Charles Wallace wants, wants to enter into his mind so he can find out where his dad is. So it's a, it's a decision in the book. He wants yes. to do that. Yeah. He thinks, and that's, that is one, that is Charles flaw, right? Is that he thinks that he is stronger because he yeah. is in the book. He is described as this very intelligent, evolved, almost a human. Whereas in the movie, he's, he's much more innocent and susceptible to being I mean, they kind overtaken. of, at the beginning, they kind of present him that way, but then they completely go away from that. Yeah. He just becomes something. He just becomes the person that needs saving. He becomes the plot, the, the point where Meg is able to fill her hero role yeah. and, and it, save him. Yeah. So in the movie, then when they get to the red eyes guy, he just kind of gets entranced and it's not a decision he makes. Right. He doesn't have that agency. No. And then they find themselves finally in the same place as the book, which is central, central intelligence Yes, where her dad is being held. Charles is overtaken by it. And he's, you know, very, very mean. And he's kind of seeing into their soul and their motivation and he's taunting and bullying them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then Meg finds her father, saves her father, but then he tries to tesser away from the planet without Charles, which in the book he does do with Meg and Calvin to the planet Ixchel with yeah. Aunt Beast. We get none of that in the movie. No. Well, he basically what happened in the movie, right, is it, Charles Wallace, this little kid is like dragging the three of them along a hall to the black thing. Do you right? know what it reminded me of? Huh? It reminded me of um, the Goblet of Fire scene in the maze when um, like Cedric Diggory... And all those people are getting eaten by the maze walls. Oh yeah. Right. Like, because yeah. they're, they're in this narrow corridor and they're like fighting. Yeah. Oh, to get a, That's what it, if you need an image and you haven't seen the movie, that's, yeah, that's the image true. I would give you. But yeah, he's forcing them but basically into the mind. Isn't of it, it then where the dad tries to test her out or yes. wrinkle out of that situation? And Meg is like, no, no. Why? Like Meg is obviously upset. Like, how could you leave your yeah. son? Granted, he He's really never known Charles. So Mr. Murray tries to, he does test her with Calvin. Yeah. But Meg, with her resistance and wanting to stay with Charles, doesn't. Yeah, she stays behind. She stays behind and she is the one who figures out. And this is where I think the movie did a better job than the book in coming full circle. Is she is inside of it, right? Yeah, instead and, of it being a, just a basically abnormally large brain in the center of a room, it's like a bunch of. It looks like you're inside the brain. Looks like they're like inside of the brain. A yeah. huge brain. Yeah. With like these like neurons almost like firing, and this is where it comes full circle because you know she gets these flashbacks of the advice the missus has told her, one being you know use your faults, and Charles is kind of berating her, or it within Charles is berating her saying you're weak no one cares about you you're ugly all this shit and yeah. she's like you're right i am impatient and i am all these things and i 
still deserve love. Yeah. That is where that message in the book should have gone. Yes. That's the one thing that the movie maybe successfully did was tie that together a little bit better. The self-love is all I wanted from that book. And instead, and granted, it is still about her loving Charles, even though he's doing all these terrible things to her. She's like, I still love you. And you remember you love me. Yeah. And then, and then she, but then it gets to that point. It's like that line of like tying it together and then just making it a little too much. Yep. But it ends very similar to the book where basically love her love for Charles overcomes the evil and yes. it defeats it because it doesn't have love. Yes. So it it's a weapon love. towards it and they're defeated. It's, it's kryptonite. The weird thing in the movie is the reason he could test her, the de- their dad could test her in the first place was like love basically. Not science. It was like their love was like the key to him tessering right. in the first place to get go. At, and, he, and in the book as well, he was going to Mars, not... Well, in in the book, this other stuff, he just kind of jumbled into this crazy interdimensional in the book conflict. He he says, "We're not ready for this." Yeah, he's like, "I tessered, I did it, but it is dangerous, and you need it." Motherfucker more. was just trying to go to Mars. He just wanted to know, yeah, what the people looked like on Mars, and in this one, it was this whole ordeal of I want to shake the hand of the universe. Yeah. No, you fucking don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. And, you know, oh, I hated that line. They get all back. It's been four years since he's seen his wife. And what's the thing he says to her when he sees her? Sorry, I'm late. My God. For what? This is the thing that blew my mind when I saw who screen wrote it because the writing is so bad. Yeah, let's get into the the, entire, the writing, the writing and, directing. and directing are both terrible. I don't know where why, did they go wrong. I don't know. I don't know why Ava DuVernay thought that we just wanted to see up everybody's fucking ninety percent of this movie is like close ups and just quick cuts to other characters. But ninety percent of it for such an epic movie as it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be why the is universe? most of the movie like directed like on just not a close up on people's faces like 90% of the movie not even their faces just their nostrils and it's like a close up from the floor yeah it, it was like shot from the ground and it's all close ups it's all close ups and I'm like yeah Oprah Reese all you people you're beautiful I don't want to see if you got boogies up your and nose and then they do some weird shaky cam stuff in the middle of it very shaky the direction just was bad that's what's so counterintuitive like you said it's about this movie is about time and space and the universe and yet it's so tight you're just like it feels very claustrophobic almost at some point that's the word that i there's certain areas where it opens up like when they go and they're flying on the back of um mrs what's it like then it seems a little more epic in scale but like a lot of it is just very confined i don't know and they do a lot of close-ups on actors who don't have any chemistry together oh my god yeah the acting was so bad it was just, and maybe it comes I mean, down to editing too, where they did a lot of a lot of quick just cut. The soundtrack was bad. The editing was bad. The directing was bad. The writing was bad. The acting was bad. It was it was genuinely. A, there's a reason it got the worst movie of the year award. Yeah, and here's here's what they said about the book. They said it is through and through a message book, right? It's supposed to be saying. Yeah. It's supposed to say something very obvious. That that this is what that movie felt like. It was like we need to be serious and intense yeah. the whole fucking time. I was like, 
Ugh, give yourselves a break. There were parts where they tried to bring in some fun, like when they're flying on the back of the person. They were or like, Zach's character, the happy medium. That one, that part actually worked though. It was funny yeah. when he and that Mrs. Was the Watson one, interacted. I think that was the one part of the movie where they brought in humor that it actually worked. Because well, it's Zach Galifianakis. The no. man can sit between two ferns and make Barack Obama, you know, giggle at his insults. That's true. He's a wizard. I love the one with like Bradley Cooper too. Oh my God. The Brad Pitt one's good good too. Where he's got the gum. If you haven't seen it, go check out Between Two Ferns. Zach Galifianakis. It's not my fault he has the world's most annoying last name. But sponsor us and we'll sponsor Between Two Ferns. We didn't get a cut for that, unfortunately. I don't need a cut. I love it. But yeah, I, I don't know. Just I was disappointed. The writing was so I wonder though... So the interesting thing when you think about it is this is a screenwriter who's never written a live action movie and it's a director who's never directed a big budget movie with special effects. That's true. I mean, I don't think it absolves her of all responsibility because it was just badly directed in general and the acting was bad and I just, it was a lot of it was awkward. It didn't flow well and which could be down to the editing, but the soundtrack was terrible. Yeah, they, well, I feel like they tried to get a lot of um, big name singers to yes write and sing music. Like DJ Khaled. And I feel like both of us are more of, we like a score. We don't necessarily need, you know. I don't mind like music. There's a, no, there's a place for it. It, it. it definitely reminded me of other like YA movies like Divergent or something where they, they have that That's kind the of one I same, got a lot. you got a similar vibe from it yeah. as that, which is not a good thing. No, Divergent failed. They didn't even finish they the series. They had the same awkwardness, the same stale acting, um, it's the just, same weird soundtrack. They're asking a lot of these children actors to act very adult and very serious in such an unconvincing way to me. Yeah. I mean, because there's a lot of examples with movies with child actors that knock it out of the damn park. Like I mean, beasts of, there's beasts of the Southern wild. I don't know if you've ever seen no. that child actor. That movie is amazing. And mostly because of the child actors in it. You oh, know? stand by me. Those are all child actors yeah, so it's, and they're amazing. And I'm, I don't even. We I don't, need to do there's that. No, I mean, there's no saying if those actors aren't necessarily bad. It could be down to a lot of other factors, but. I think it comes down to like Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon isn't a bad actress. Mindy Kaling no. isn't a bad actress. I just think, yeah, it comes down in the script a lot. But the script and the direction. I think. I think for, the people that they brought in to make that movie, it was very disappointing to me how it turned out. I I don't know. I was disappointed because when I saw the cast and I saw the director and now knowing who the writer was God I wanted it to be so good yeah I wanted so badly to like it but from the second we turn it on we're like oh no yeah oh it, no yeah I mean it's cringeworthy it was a mess do you want to go into the Rotten Tomatoes score? I want to go into this but what do you think the book got on good what do I think the book got yeah I know but what do you think it got I'm gonna I'm gonna think there's probably a lot of people who read it or some people who read it when they're adults who give it harsher reviews, but then there's a lot of younger people who have nostalgia for it. You're not wrong. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with a three. I'm going to go right down the middle. Right down the middle. Well, it's out of five, dude. Yeah. Three out of five. That's not right down the middle. That would be 2.5. 
Fuck, you're right. Math, bitch. I'm, I'm just dumb. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one with the Masters uh, of Science. It's late. <laughs> it is late. We had some technical issues. <laughs> and now my brain is fried. You're right. Wow. <laughs> I was right about Why was that. I thinking three was half of five? I don't know Because three brain. is in the middle somewhere, but no, that doesn't make no, any sense. No, it... <laughs> Oh, it's, it's okay. It's been a long one. Okay. It actually has, and you are right. Fucking hell. You are right about the reviews because I actually read a lot of reviews for this really? one. Really? So it has a 4.01 out of 5, which shocked oh, me. Oh, wow. That's really pretty high. But here's the thing. I'm not joking. I went through the reviews. I was like, who's reviewing this? I would, every other review in like sequential order was like I love this book it has all these great things it reminds me of this and this was like I read this as a kid and then I read it to my kid and my god is it is it not great a lot of them were saying it's very heavy-handed in its religious message now that they're you know rereading it as an adult and that there's just a bunch of exposition the explanation in the book was a, a huge factor in like the more negative one to two star reviews and people who were like three stars were like, Oh, it's like nostalgic, but, and I like that it's about a woman and science and STEM and all that, but it's just, it's just not told very well. Yeah. I so, can see that because if I was going to review this book, I would probably give it a worse review just because of those, some of those same reasons, the yeah. exposition and stuff like that. But yeah. All right. So what do you think? Rotten Tomatoes, and it was given what was it? The worst movie, St. Louis Festival, whatever. That was that was one, yeah, one. St. Louis Critics Awards. Here's my thing, and it's going to be similar to yours. Here's what I will give the movie: it is an extremely diverse cast. It is um, a diverse crew, and I think a lot of people and children. I think a lot of kids probably liked it especially young girls. So I'm going to say the Rotten Tomatoes. Can I give Rotten Tomatoes an audience score? Yeah. So I was going to give you both. So give me both. I think Rotten Tomatoes is 32% Mm -hmm. and I think audience score is 45. Okay. So this is going to be a surprise to you. So Rotten Tomatoes critic score, 42%. Okay. And a large part of that from what I understood was because of the diversity. See? Woman empowerment. Yeah. I was right. See, I get that. Which I understand is a good thing, but at the same time, I don't think this movie deserved a 42%. It's really cool that there was a lot of diversity and it was the woman for the first time in charge of the movie, but that doesn't mean that it was a good movie. Here's where, here's it's what a good I will thing say. that is happening, but they made a shit movie still. I'm sorry. Here's what but I will say to really, that. Yeah. We need... The diversity is great and the visibility is awesome, especially for young women of color who go see that movie and see. Oh, yeah. I'm not disputing that. But here's the thing. We need to get to a point where a movie is based on its merits and and um, and we don't have to celebrate diversity because it's normalized. Yes, we need to true. get to a point where that's there are true. people of color and gender orientation like Wonder in front Woman and got behind really the good reviews because it was a great movie. It was a great movie directed by Patty Jenkins. Who Black also, Panther got really good reviews because it was a great movie. Right. Okay, it, granted, it might have been a little more inflated because of the of some of the social stuff around it, but it was still a really good it movie. Was a great movie. It still deserved good reviews. So, yeah. I just want us to get to a point where I think diversity is important. It still needs to be championed until we get to a point where it is normal. And, you know, I I agree. Okay. Yeah. So what's the audience one? Audience score, 27%. 
I fucking overshot that, didn't People I? People did not like it. And that's what I'm saying. The critics oh. might have... I feel like maybe there's some critics feel pressure. They've got to give it. A I better thought those review. would have been swapped. No, yeah. So the audience score twenty seven percent. IMDb has it a a four point two out of ten. So people did not like this movie. No, didn't even get fifty. It literally on the educational scale failed. So bad. Got an F. Terrible F minus. Terrible movie. Terrible movie. Um, if you want to watch a movie for like, it's I don't even know if it's so bad. It's good, but. If you have the urge to cringe for some reason, like if that's a kink of yours and you it's, like to be uncomfortable honestly, that's, and watch bad acting, go for that's it. That's the overwhelming feeling I had watching this movie was just awkward. I don't, we should have just recorded the number of times we both went, oh no. Yeah. So what do you think? Uh, did it adapt the source material well? It's hard because I wasn't the biggest fan of the source material. Yeah. So any adaptation is hard, you know, to come up against something that you don't already have a fondness for. Yeah. I think it was not a good adaptation at well, all. And then they, they completely took out some of the bigger themes of like the religious aspects of the story. Oh yeah. To make it removed, much more palatable. Which and I mass feel like market. after hearing about, um, the author, yeah, she, you know, the, her religion was a big part of the I'm story. Sure she was very upset by it. She would, well, she's dead, but she probably wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> I know she's dead. I think it was. I agree. I did wasn't a fan of the book. A big fan of the book. There were some things I liked, but it did tie the end together better than the book. So I will but say, my my main sticking point is I don't think it was a great adaptation because they changed so many of the reasons why they were doing things like That's why they point. were going to different, why the, why the story was progressing. They changed that. Right. And I think they did that because in the book, Meg isn't as much a hero as she is in the movie. Yeah, so they had to do it definitely. to make it interesting. So in that sense, it's like, okay, you I don't made think it. They did. I think it would have been better if they had kept it the way it was written in, in that sense. Oh, okay. Well, I think maybe the ending would because have been better. They, because they sacrificed the characters of Charles Wallace and Calvin for that. They they are those two characters were much less interesting to me in the movie. Much more annoying. Yes. Granted, I found all the characters in annoying the, in the in book. In the book they had a little bit more of uh it was more equal kind of. Yeah, it was they definitely each played more, their part. It was definitely more Meg's story in the book, obviously still, but they they had a little bit more yeah, they had a little bit more to do in the book, I think. Yeah. So. Yeah, they weren't just bystanders and spectators. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we're if anyone in the universe, whether it be ours or Orion's Belt, is listening to this, we're probably going to get some flack because I know, I know one of our good friends grew up loving this book, yeah. and I was like, dude, I'm sorry, I did not like it. Yeah. And if so, tell us why. Yeah, we'd love to hear feedback on this podcast um how can we make it on this better? episode but also we'd also love to hear any suggestions for future episodes as well mm -hmm. yeah so where can they find us they can find us on facebook and instagram at source material pod and on uh twitter at source mat pod and then you can also just directly email us at source material pod at gmail.com yeah and we also have a website Oh my God, we do. Yeah. And that's sourcematerialpod.com. 
It is. It's pretty simple. We're not sure if there's going to be a footnotes this week because I don't know if there's a lot else we want to discuss about A Wrinkle in Time. This is a longer episode already, just yeah. recording so it. So we might skip the footnotes for this week, but we've got some other exciting stuff on the horizon. I'm really excited to to delve into some other stuff and record it. So I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast and check us out on our social media and subscribe if you like the podcast on whatever Apple or Spotify. Well, yeah, whatever app or outlet you listen to us and on. And you can list, always listen to the episodes on our website as well. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time. Until next time.